Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I am here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And it's our prayer at Storytellers Live that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know you aren't alone, and that you can discuss these stories with friends so that walls are broken down and community is built. Today's story, we have Jill, and Katie, just tell us a little bit about it. Well, Robin, Jill actually spoke a few months ago at our community group in Jackson, Mississippi, and we've been working on the sound quality for the past few weeks because we really thought it was a powerful story that people needed to hear. And while it is one of immense loss, it's also so powerful in that it points us back to Jesus. Yeah, and her story is a little bit longer than most of ours, but we just didn't feel like there was any place to cut that every single word she said was really important. And so here is Jill's story. Hi, everyone. It's Robin, and I want to drop in before today's story starts and let you know that we actually recorded um, this story several weeks ago, long before the coronavirus has hit where we are today. And we spent some time as a team really praying about our stories that we release over these next few weeks. And while today's story is a difficult story to listen to and it is a sad story, it is also a story really filled with hope. And we decided that right now, even though we're in a difficult season as a country and as the world, that it's important that we remember that there's hope in these times. And so we really... We know that Jill's story today will remind you to look to him for all of your needs and that he provides literally everything for us. And so we thank you for listening. We thank you for joining us today. Know that we're praying for you and we're praying for everyone around the world. And if you did not listen to yesterday's message, the short podcast that we posted, um, make sure that you join us online this Friday as we have our very first online Storytellers Live gathering where all are invited. And we want to make sure that you know and you can follow us on Facebook at Storytellers Live and on Instagram at Storytellers Live Podcast. And we hope to see you then. Okay, good morning. Um, my name is Jill Bell and I have, I'm married to David. He's a veterinarian. And then we have three children. Avery and Campbell are twins and then celebrates. Uh, and we always say we have three kids, one's an older. One in high and two here on the And I'm going to start with this quote. Um, I found a lot of comfort. There are so many authors and um, books that I've, I've read through all of this. But um, I love Elizabeth Elliot and her story and, and her ministry. And um, one of the things she said was, The deepest things that I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things I know about God. My story in my life was very ordinary. I'm the second of four kids, classic middle child, the caretaker, the peacemaker. My siblings jokingly always called me the glue because I took care of everything and everybody. We moved to Brookhaven when I was entering first grade. My school friends were my church friends. Just like a normal small town, you went to church every time the doors were open. I credit my upbringing in preparing me for the child that would come going forward. Growing up in the Baptist church, Bible drill was an important part of my elementary years. I remember learning scripture, scripture passages, key verses in the Bible, and of course the books of the Bible. I will never forget our director telling us over the course of several years, you will, you will remember these things you learn now. Learn them now and they will stay with you forever. 
no truer word were ever spoken. I was fortunate to have a youth minister that poured into my life and a Bible teacher that did too. To this day, I still credit them with strengthening the foundation my parents had already started. Their teachings and wisdom I would seek again at various times in my life. I look back and see how God began weaving his story in my life. Always think of it like a tapestry. How it's messy on one side, but on the other side you see a beautiful woman picture. David and I met in May of 2006 and got married on August the 18th, 2007. He was the one I'd spent many nights praying for. We knew we wanted to start a family not long after we got married. Fortunately, after celebrating our one-year anniversary, we found out we were pregnant. At nine weeks, I miscarried. The heartache and pain I felt was something I had never experienced before. The grief of losing a child I never got to meet was hard, and I look back and think it was preparing me for what was to come. Getting pregnant again was not as easy after my miscarriage, but in March of 2009, we found out we were not only expecting a baby, but twins at that. On September the 29th, 2009, I was given the greatest job I've ever had when two tiny babies entered the world seven weeks early. Avery Lundell weighed three pounds and 12 ounces, and Campbell Grady Dell weighed four pounds, nine ounces. From day one, they were fighters. Hooked up to tubes and dependent on those same tubes to breathe for them and feed them. And does any parent think I knew they were special? Their bond was one that had been sealed from day one and would always be. They were each other's protector, best friend, and partner in crime. They were in the NICU at Baptist for almost a month. Every day I would go to the hospital and watch them. I couldn't believe God had given me these tiny miracles. I would work my daily schedule around visiting hours at the hospital and would pray beside their beds for their health. And for the day, I would be able to hold both of them in my arms at our house. Watching them fight for every breath they took, not being able to hold them the first week or even see them until the day after they were born was hard. In my mind, I actually thought this may be the toughest battle we would fight. If we could just get them home, we could watch them grow up and life would be great. And once again, looking back, I see God was continuing to prepare me for the road ahead. We eventually brought them home and they thrived. Campbell was always at least two pounds ahead of Avery. He hit all the milestones before her. She was tiny and picky and still is. He was easygoing and Avery was a little more needy. She was the first to talk though and soon spoke for him. She would tell him what to do and most of the time he would do it. <laughs> I'll never forget one day they were in their play yard and I went into the laundry room and came right back out. And I look and see Campbell on his stomach and Avery was standing on him trying to get out. That pretty much sums up their relationship. He took care of her, and she took care of him. He hated to see her get in trouble, which was quite often, and would many times cry because she was in timeout. I think it also kept him from getting in trouble. He hated to be noticed or recognized and would stay in the background as much as he could. Looking back, I once again see his little personality coming out, not knowing at the time that that part of him would be a big part of his story. I went back to work at the time. Around the end of 2010, I felt God calling me to stay home with the twins. The first year I was home, we were home together. We spent every day together. It was hard, but so very good. I would not trade that year for anything. I got to see them grow and change right before my eyes. I saw their special relationship grow deeper, and once again, I see God's hand in that. He knew what was to come, and that time I had with them is time I will cherish for the rest of my life. The twins were thriving. Fast forward to January 2014, which went to four and a half, and they were doing three days a week in the three-year-old preschool. I remember that month being specifically hard. It was busy. They were busy and into everything, and 
we had separated them not long ago in two separate rooms, but they would always end up sleeping together but switch, as they switched rooms at night. Always one on the floor, one in bed, depending on what room they were in. I'll never forget Saturday, February the 10th. We had tickets to the radio. The kids were dressed in jeans and cowboy boots. I couldn't button Campbell's jeans. And it's odd how you remember such small details. I ended up having him button the top button of his jeans because they were so tight in the waist. He sat in my lap the entire time and didn't eat much either. The next night, I was getting the twins out of the tub and I called David in the bathroom because I noticed a small lump in his belly. By Tuesday mid-morning, he began to run a low-grade fever. I called the nurse because our doctor was out having back surgery, and she told me to give him an enema. We did, but nothing happened at all. His fever went up to 101, and I called the nurse back. She made us an appointment to see another doctor, Dr. Smith, at 3.30 that afternoon. I'll never forget taking him in, all along thinking he had a bug or he was eating something. After examining him, Dr. Smith wanted to get another doctor to look at him. Dr. Roman, who I'd gone to college with, came in. I'll never forget she never made eye contact with me. They left when Dr. Smith came back and suggested that we go to get an x-ray. By this time, I'm starting to get nervous. I've got both kids with me, and I called David to get him to meet me there. They couldn't tell much from the x-ray because of all of his squirming, so they decided to do a CT. Once again, he was squirming and crying and lost. We waited for what seemed like forever, forever, and Dr. Smith called. I think you could hear a pin drop in that room. He's upset as he tells David it looks to be a mass in the back. We are immediately sent to Batson for 3C at 5.30 that Wednesday afternoon. After that, it was all a blur. They take Campbell for more tests. David goes with him this time because I couldn't watch him squirm and scream any longer and hold him down. They admitted us indefinitely. One thing they knew for certain, whatever it is, has to come out. That night would be the first night Campbell and Avery ever slept apart in four and a half years. The next day, Thursday, February the 13th, was filled with doctor visits from oncologists and surgeons, nurses, social workers. It was a long day. At the end of the day, they called David and I into a conference room. And David and I are sitting on one side of the table, and a team of around 10 people are sitting opposite us consisting of surgeons and doctors, nurses, residents, fellows, you name it, they were all there. They sat across from us, and they were grim. There was no smiling, no laughing, no letting us down easy. We were given a long list of things this mask could be, from lymphoma to every type of sarcoma to even a benign cyst. They just didn't know, and surgery would be the only option. Rhabdomyosarcoma was actually at the bottom of the list. The next day, they came and took us upstairs to surgery. Campbell screamed all the way up the stairs. We ended up having to carry him. We go for prep, and we meet an angel, Melissa. She actually lived in our neighborhood and was a cancer survivor herself. She said she would take care of him, and she did for the next 18 months. She told us later on that she never looked over the sheet in surgery, but for some reason, she did this time. She said it was all. She couldn't believe something like that was inside a child's body. She said she played with his hair the entire time and played over him and for us. We met with the surgeons after and they told us they were able to remove a four and a half inch tumor inside his abdomen. They weren't able to get everything, but got the tumor. What was left behind was what they called fingerlings or studs. Basically, you have the tumor and then there's these growths off of it. And it wasn't a clean removal and there was no way to get all the studs. It was too risky. The hope was that chemo and radiation would get anything that was left. 
We still didn't have a definite diagnosis and wouldn't know until pathology ran the test. And we stayed in the PICU for two nights and then was moved back to 3C. He recovered and soon we saw the people we knew and loved come back to us. He wasn't the same, but we were starting to see life again. On Wednesday, February the 19th, we were waiting to be discharged. Dr. Collier, our oncologist, and the floor resident, Dr. Harrison, came in. As I sat on the bed beside Campbell and watched him, as he watched Monsters University, our new favorite movie, Dr. Collier sat in the chair across from us and was very stoic and grim. Pathology had worked day and night, and the tumor samples had been sent off to various labs around the country. Rhabdomyosarcoma, a cancer of the soft tissue. There were two types, embryonal and alveolar. To this day, there's still a question as to which one he had. That's how complicated this case was. One is deadlier than the other, but both are not good. They didn't know the stage, and they wouldn't know until bone marrow aspiration was done. He would need a chemo port place at the same time they did the bone marrow. They gave us about a week at home to recover. I'll never forget the joy on Campbell's face his first night home. And Avery slept on the floor beside him. This would become our new norm. We were home and that's all that mattered. They played, he rode his bike. He would go with me to take her to school and pick her up. We had a PET scan and bone scan scheduled the following Monday the 24th and a port placement and bone marrow aspiration scheduled for Tuesday morning. Late that Tuesday afternoon at five o'clock, Dr. Collier sat across from us along with one of our nurses in the same conference room. He told us Campbell had stage four rhabdomyosarcoma. After a clean PET scan and bone scan, the bone marrow aspiration revealed that it had spread to his bone marrow. He slid a huge binder, about this thick, across the table to us, and we began to go through it. It was all a blur. Terms and words I'd never heard were being said. And if I had heard them, it was on a medical TV show. Surely this wasn't real and wasn't happening. We were told the road before us would be difficult and hard. There wasn't a 0% success rate, but there wasn't a 100% success rate. We didn't want to know the success rate, though. That didn't matter to us. All that mattered was, can we beat this? The chemo would be aggressive. Radiation would be needed in 54 weeks is what it would take. I didn't think I would be able to walk out of that room. David and I looked at each other, signed all the papers to begin treatment, and told the doctor to do whatever needed to be done to save his life. The one thing that stood out in my mind was David telling the doctor that he knew he's a great physician, Jehovah Rapha was, and that he can heal Campbell, not doctors or, or medicine, and he provides the means to do it. So we called all our family in to tell him. We knew we were in the fight of our lives. We knew that if God wanted to heal him at any point on this journey, he could and he would, but until then, we would trust his ways and not ours. We committed to bathing ourselves in scripture and would pray continuously without ceasing. Isaiah 40, 28-31 became the verse that we would cling to in the days, weeks, and months to come. Verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Campbell began chemotherapy the next day, 54 weeks of the worst and strongest chemo they could give him. The drugs were the worst of the worst, we were told. They basically threw everything at him that they could. He would be in the hospital every other week for at least the next year. And on the weeks he wasn't in the hospital, he would be doing outpatient chemotherapy in the cancer clinic. Halfway through treatment, he would do 24 days in 
radiation to his abdomen. We were told that at the time, Dr. BJ had never given that much radiation to an abdomen, much less a child's abdomen. That in and of itself was scary. I'll never forget one of our first consultations with him. He told us that he would do anything possible to not have to get handled that type of radiation, radiation that would have lifelong side effects, and eventually could kill him. I look back and laugh at my innocence and dare say stupidity at the things I'm worried about. The main thing was him losing his hair. At the time, that was so scary to me. I guess it was the outward appearance of what we were facing. The scar from the bottom of his lung, the right above his pelvis, was hidden. So from the outside, he looked like a normal, healthy kid. And honestly, that's what that was all I wanted. A normal life, a healthy child. What normal looked like to me back then. This outward appearance that life is great and things are grand. While on the inside, we are humble to big enough. At the time, I don't think that I thought we would lose Campbell. I knew the statistics, and I knew that his prognosis wasn't good. But I think you put your game face on, and that's what we did. We didn't want to think about the future and what that looked like. For the first time in my life, I stopped saying. I stopped doing. At that point, God was beginning to change me, change my perspective, and once again, preparing us for what was to come. Things that once mattered didn't. David and I had decided that during his journey, we would find things to be thankful for each day. Most days, it was that he felt good. We prayed for his healing, but we prayed even more that he would have little to no side effects and that he would feel good. God answered those prayers. He was receiving red devils and other chemotherapy drugs that adults receive at a higher dosage, and not once did he throw up or get sick. He amazed the doctors at his checkups, and during his 7 to 10 day hospital stays, many times you would find him playing Batman in the activity room, where he and Avery would be riding the IV pole up and down the hallway in three scenes with the nurses yelling, Stop! He was amazing all of those around him. We eventually got into a routine, and this became our new normal. It wasn't normal to anybody else, but it was us. David would do the nights, and I would do the days. We would watch out the window and count concrete trucks and cars going to and from school, church, and work. If you ever wonder what the kids do in the hospital, before the new building. But we would sit at the, at the window, and we'd watch all the people pass going about their lives. And he loved concrete trucks, and so we would just count them and stand in the window and count. He kept the doctors and nurses on their toes. He was a quirky kid, and they quickly learned that he would bring the same stuffed animals to the hospital each time. Occasionally, they would change, but most of the time, it was the same ones. He would line them up on his bed, and if Dr. Collier would move one to put on the bed, Campbell would give him the pink eye. <laughs> the nurses knew to ask him about getting his needle in his port and having it removed at the end of treatment. He liked to remove it himself most times, and I can tell you that the nurses, that the nurses he would drive crazy doing that. One time, he even took the needle out himself. David nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> that was Campbell Day. We learned it was a control thing. He couldn't control much in his life, but when to put the needle in his port and when to take, take the tape off was something he could, so they let him because they were awesome like that. The nurses and doctors always treated him like he was their own child, and that mattered more than anything to us. The people God placed in our path were there for a reason. They treated Campbell with kindness and respect. They took care of him. They knew his road was going to be tough. They took care of us, too. Avery became a permanent fixture on three seats and in the cancer clinic. 
Campbell called her Shu, and that's what everyone at the hospital called her. They knew when she was there, it was going to be a good day. She came every day when we were admitted, and she would come to outpatients if she wasn't in school. You can still hear, I can still remember him. They're riding on the ivy pole, and Campbell's yelling, Shoo, shoo, watch this, watch this. And it's just, and that's how the nurses just picked up on, okay, here's Shoo. We don't know where that came from, but that's what he called her. <laughs> she came every day when we were admitted, and she would come to outpatients if she wasn't in school. It was important to us to keep her in a normal routine. Her teachers and friends took care of her. Family stepped in and took care of her too. And on the nights I would come home from the hospital, I would find her in my bed waiting on me. We knew it was taking a toll on her too, but God provided in that area because she was well taken care of and Campbell felt good most of the time, so she didn't check up. In August of 2014, Campbell began his 24 days of radiation. He would be put to sleep each day. He was put to sleep over... 25 times just during radiation and over 30 plus times in the fall. I'll never forget walking into the radiation room the first day, holding tightly to him as he was screaming. We would talk for a few minutes and next thing you knew he was asleep. I think I may have watched the screen three times the entire time because it was so hard to watch. At the end of August, he finished radiation. So far, he had not felt any of the side effects yet. Only his hair that had begun growing back, he was losing it again. He began chemo once more. His energy was lower than it had been, so he felt great. At the end of October, he began having complications. He had trouble going to the bathroom, and we began to notice some bleeding. He was scheduled to begin another round of chemo, so they admitted him early to start fluids. After noticing more blood and all of his levels elevated, they did another ultrasound on his bladder and CT. The bladder was angry is the way the doctors described it, and his kidneys were beginning to back up. Because he was immunocompromised, surgery was risky. There were two options, either to place a drain or to place two ureter stents in. We began praying and asking our prayer warriors to pray with us that putting the stents in would be the best option and would fix the problem until he was finished with chemo. And then we would discuss permanent solutions, including a bladder resection. Campbell's third surgery was scheduled immediately. We made sure his angel Melissa was working and they wheeled him to the sixth floor once again. Surgery went well, and the stents were placed, and they seemed to be what was needed, and for that, we were thankful. Fast forward to March of 2015. Campbell finished treatment, finished chemo on Monday, March the 16th. We debated on letting him ring the bell that signified the end of treatment. We still had final scans, but it was more about a moment signifying the end of a very long 54-month weeks of treatment. It was his last day of scheduled chemo, and that deserved a celebration. To think back over the past year and what he had been through and what he had overcome brought tears to my eyes that morning. He was truly the epitome of a superhero. He had done all that had been asked of him without questioning why we were letting all these people do all these things to him. Why we were making him get super juice, which is what we call the chemotherapy, that made him feel awful. Take pictures, which is what we call radiation, that basically burned his insides, and it resulting in a messed up bladder that would never be the same again. And the pain he had endured since then when he goes to the bathroom. He did it all with the sweetest smile on his face, a smile that hardly ever left his face. God uses difficulty to cultivate within us a greater appreciation for himself. God's presence in the trial is much better than exemption from the trial. 
The Lord's presence is never so sweet as in moments of appalling difficulty. How true that is. That year had been the sweetest time with my Lord and Savior. He had taught me so much, and the fellowship we have is what had been missing all of my life. I look forward to that day when I meet him face to face. I know I will leave in his sight, but I'll also be overwhelmed by him and his majesty. I will be speechless. He taught me so much about who he is that we never once were left alone or felt alone. I may have been fearful about the future, but at those times, he would remind me of his promises and his word, that though I'll weep tonight, joy always comes in the morning. Campbell's final scans were scheduled for April the 2nd, the Thursday before Easter. That afternoon after scans, Dr. Collier called. Preliminary reports showed NED, no evidence of disease, but we needed the in-depth reports from pathology and tumor board would meet the following Wednesday. The following Monday, we received the news that they saw something on the scans. We scheduled an ultrasound of his bladder and an x-ray to get a better look. That same week, I had my second doctor's appointment. We found out we were expecting. Many people never knew I was pregnant. We wanted to wait until I was further along and Campbell was in a good place. It definitely wasn't planned, but we looked at it as a blessing, although the timing was not perfect. But is it ever really? <laughs> I found out on the following Monday that I had miscarried. It was no heartbeat. I was devastated. My doctor decided it would be best to do a DNC. So at the same time, we were scheduling scans. For Campbell to figure out what this new spot was, I was scheduling a DNC. I had my DNC, and the next day we were at the medical mall getting a PET scan. Scans revealed it was a new growth, not as large as the first one. Barely visible, but still there in any place. It was in his left upper leg near his pelvis. The plan was to remove it and then weigh our treatment options. This relapse signified a change for us in our thoughts, our prayers, and the way we talk to our children. We knew we were in a battle that may not end the way we wanted. Survivor statistics for a recurring rhabdo were not good. We had 30% at diagnosis. We now had less than 5%. And most died within six months of reoccurrence. We knew, as we did from the beginning, that God could heal him if that was his will for Campbell. We had always prayed for God's will to be done, but selfishly I prayed that he would be healed, and that was my will. At that point, my prayers began to change. God was once again changing us and changing me. As much as I wanted my child to be healed on this earth, that may not be God's will. That was a hard will. We were given four treatment options. A three-drug combo that showed a little promise. Another drug combo that had been used in treating breast cancer. And since breast cancer is a type of sarcoma, they go in between the drugs. The doctors had used it to treat reoccurring sarcomas, or we could see that there was a trial open at St. Jude that he would qualify for. The last option was to take him home and let him enjoy the time he had left. We knew he wasn't ready for that, so we decided to go with option one. Recovery from surgery was rough first two weeks. I remember wondering if we could do this, would his body be able to fight back and recover? And then I would see that smile that lights up the room. I remember vividly having a bad day not long after that surgery. Bad enough that I was hyperventilating and I couldn't control the tear, the anger or the emotion. Thinking about all these things and being mad at God and being mad at the world and not understanding why my child was suffering so much. David came home that night and reassured me that it was all going to be okay. That no matter what, we were going to be 
that or not. Many times I raised my mind it just to be your back, doing the same thing that they make you bad. You never stop praying for your kids, sickness, health, and all. Laying them down at the feet of Jesus is a daily sacrifice. Knowing that all I can do is pray for them and teach them the truth and leave the rest to God is quite humbling and a little scary, if I'm honest. But that's what he calls us to do. I did that every night until the night. He was no longer sleeping in that bed. I remember feeling a peace wash over me as I sat there every night. That's where I felt the most peace that I still do to this day. I know that was and is God saying, trust me, love me, look to me. I've got this. I've carried you this far and will continue to carry you until the end. There were days I wish I had a crystal ball, but then again, I didn't want to know what was going to happen. Because at that point, I may would stop living. That's why only he knows our future. Our days were numbered from the beginning, and I'm so glad I don't know those numbers, because I would live in fear and not live and experience the life he has given us. We want to be able to live life to the fullest, to do all the things we should be doing, as we all should, to enjoy his blessings, enjoy family, enjoy spending time together, because none of us know the, the day our life on earth will be over. Some may think this is depressing, but in all honesty, it's a reality, or at least our daily reality. I never really thought much about death before, because in my mind, that's what happened when you got old and you had lived a long, full life. Never did I think I would be thinking about it with my five-year-old. We had to we had to have many hard conversations in those first 15 months about death. Why things happen when it will be over. We knew we may have to have many more to come. At six weeks after his surgery, we had another set of scans. By this time, you would think we would be used to all the nerves and tensions that go along with that. But we never, ever got used to it. So we had scans on Wednesday. The next day, I called the clinic to get the results. The nurse practitioner, Amy, began to list off where the scans showed me growth. I got my trusty red notebook, what I journaled down all those years and all those months in the hospital. And I wrote down all of the new places. I told her to stop because I had to get a pen because I couldn't keep up with everything. And so I wrote down all of his new growths. I wrote down the six new spots. The original tumor was back. The tumor we had just removed was back. Two new spots in his back near his spine and two spots in his lungs. I sat on my bed and cried. It was in this moment that marked the next change. All along, our prayers had been for healing until our child got take the cancer away, make him better, return our lives to normal. At this moment, our prayers changed. Our lives changed once again, and God taught me what it meant to lay my child at his feet. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Our prayers change to God and he'll kingle in whatever you see, whatever way you see fit. Prepare us for that. Give us wisdom to parent these two children and to talk to them about life, heaven, God, and teaching them that even though God is still. Psalm 73, 23 through 26 says, Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom I in heaven, but you. And earth has nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my fortune forever. We packed our bags in the middle of July and headed to St. Jude or Memphis. This was our last ditch effort to attack the cancer. We left Avery at home and Campbell said goodbye to all of his friends at the hospital, which were his doctors, nurses, and caretakers. 
It was hard. I remember sitting in the waiting room, waiting to get examined that Sunday night, St. Jude. I was scared, but I looked at my child, and he felt fear. Fear like I saw when we first entered the bathroom. I wept that night. We knew this is where we needed to be, but we knew it would be hard on all of us. We had always said if God opened the door, we would walk through that door. And the door to St. Jude had been opened, so we knew we had to try. He still felt great, and we knew he wanted to keep fighting. We got into a routine. He became comfortable with his new doctor and nurses. For the next six weeks, we were treated there. We spent two weeks initially, and then went back and forth for count checks. The Friday before, the twins were supposed to start kindergarten, and Campbell was to return to St. Jude for a week of chemo. I noticed his belly had a couple of lumps. I wanted to ignore it, but I couldn't. He went to a friend's house that day, and the mom said he just wanted to lay around. They were dear friends of ours, so she knew he may be tired from all the traveling. The next day, August the 15th, Campbell was in excruciating pain. We rushed him to the ER at Batson. We knew the news wasn't going to be good. We flew to St. Jude on the 16th and met with Dr. Federico on the 17th. She confirmed our fears. His cancer was back with a vengeance, and we were looking at months and weeks. She cried with us as we decided to take him home for palliative care. I'll never forget her telling us before we left. I've never met a child like Campbell. I knew from the first day I met all of you that there was no light about him. He was different. I like to think that that light was the light and grace of God shining through you on August the 17th. We flew home. That day will always be known as the day of rainbows. On the way home on the airplane, Campbell looked out the window. And near that flight, we saw the four different rainbows. There was a peace about us, about him, that no matter what happens, God will continue to hold each of us in his hand and never let us go. The rainbow is his covenant with us that he is in control. He had carried us this far and will continue to carry us until we are home with him. In the next five weeks, he will live life to the fullest. He was a bulldog for a day. Superheroes visited him, and he got to go to Disney World on his Make-A-Wish trip. This is a journal entry I wrote just a couple of days before Campbell passed away, September the 16th, 2015. I've been trying to write an update for several days since March. It's not flowing as freely as they once were. I've always let God guide my words and my thoughts, and I've felt him telling me the past week and a half, rest my child, just rest in me. So that's what I've been doing, letting him carry me, carry us, and resting in him. Maybe it is him preparing us for the tough days to come. Or maybe he knows how tired we all are, especially Campbell. I've cried many tears in the past few days knowing that Campbell is one day closer to being home. He sat up in bed that night, and I was talking to him as he was drinking his apple juice. I asked him if he was tired. He nodded yes. I asked him if he was ready to go home. He said yes. And asked him if he was ready to see Jesus. And he nodded his head yes. I hugged him tight and told him not much longer. And then told him that Jesus would take care of him. And told him to wait for us. No one prepared you for this. There are no classes, no books. To walk you through watching your child fight cancer. And then watching the cancer take over their body. I don't think there's any possible way to write a book about it. Or tell someone how to do it. We do it by experience. And this is an experience I wish we never had. 
David and I looked at each other some days and felt like we are living in this alternate universe or something. It's just a strange feeling, a strange life we have. I think we just go through the motions, just trying to get through the day. There have been good moments during the day with Campbell, and I cherish those. They are becoming few and far between, though. He's tired and has slept most of the day. He's on oxygen around the clock, and we have tried to keep him as comfortable as possible with medication. And I think he is. I hope he is. He knows he is loved so very much. And we kiss him and tell him that as much as we can. I think what is scary to me is not having him physically here to kiss and to touch. That's what scares me, and it's something I've struggled with. And I've asked God many times during the day to give me comfort and peace in that. This is still a part of that journal entry. We've been asked when we knew Campbell's healing was not going to come on earth. Dave and I would both say different things. David said he began preparing himself for it when we went to St. Jude for the trials. I started feeling it the week we got home from our two weeks at St. Jude. I can't put my finger on it. It wasn't anything in particular. I think it was that gut feeling that I've had several times throughout his journey. I guess a mother's instinct. When we had scans at the end of June and they revealed his cancer had spread, we were told we were told of three one to two inch tumors and then two enlarged lymph nodes in his lungs. At the time, our doctors at Batson had told us if we choose not to do any treatment at all, he had two to three months. When the trial opened up at St. Jude, we knew we had to go and try it. We felt it was a part of God's plan. We felt God leading us there. We have no regrets whatsoever about that decision. We knew it was a long shot, but you just have to try everything before you stop trying. When we had scans the first week at St. Jude, Dr. Federico told us the five spots had grown, but hopefully the trial would work in reducing their sizes and their spread. The trial was not supposed to rid him of cancer for good, but was to stop the spread and reduce the size. The hope was that another trial would open up while we were being treated that would maybe rid him of the cancer for good. That's kind of how trials work. You do one, especially a phase one or two, which is what we were in, in hopes of something else in a phase three or four opens up. With two enlarged lip nodes in his lungs had always concerned Dr. Federico, along with our doctors at Batson. When we were given the news on August the 17th that the trial was not working, we were not completely surprised, but still devastated. But we found peace that if Campbell's parents, we had done everything we possibly could to help him and give him the best chance at living. I think when we saw the four rainbows that day flying back to Memphis, flying back to Jackson from Memphis, was where the peace came from. God reminding us he is still the same God that blessed us with these babies. The same God that has carried us throughout this journey, and the same God that will continue to carry us all the rest of our days. As hard as it is for us to realize his plan is not ours, that our sweet boy will receive his healing in heaven. I remember thinking, coming home from Memphis that day, I wasn't sure how I was going to watch my child die. I wasn't sure what life would look like when he was no longer here. I was scared. Fear gripped my heart, but then there was a peace as I cried out to him to give us strength and wisdom is to comfort us. To live only from one hour to the next. Put one foot in front of the other and place my trust and my hope in him. To cherish each moment I have with Campbell and with my children and not to take to him or any gifts he has given me for granted. I could sit and write about regrets and what if. I mean, he's only been here almost six years. He's supposed to have his entire life ahead of him. In my quiet time this week, he's been showing me, teaching me, once again, at least Campbell to him. 
once more, as he called me to when I became pregnant with him and Avery, when I gave birth to them and when he was diagnosed. To me, it's a daily call to release him, release Avery, release everything to him. He reminds me of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis. God instructs Abraham to take Isaac, his only son, that he and Sarah prayed for, longed for, and God had promised to them up the mountain and let him be the sacrifice. Isaac had no clue what was going on, but he did as he was told because Abraham was his father, and surely his father knew what he was doing. So in obedience, Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain where God had instructed him, and he built an altar and placed Isaac on it. As he was about to raise his knife to slay him, the angel of the Lord stopped him and instructed him not to slay him. God knew through Abraham's obedience that he feared God because he did not withhold his son, his only son, from him. Abraham obeyed God as an act of worship. At that moment, Abraham released his grip on everything he held dear. And that's the same calling God has on each of our lives. Release everything to him and then watch him work. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six. Everything is his. He is the creator of all things. He gives life and he takes life. We must release it all to him. And in that obedience, we worship him and acknowledge his sovereignty and truly experience his greatness and power. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned through this journey, is sovereignty. I'm realizing I have to know God inside out, inside and out, to know him in all of his fullness and in everything he reveals about himself and his work. That at that moment, when I do that, I, that I release it all to him and find peace and comfort in him. And that means releasing my longing for a candle healing to come on earth. I want to be obedient in that. So I've released it and found peace in that obeying him because I love him and as an act of worship to him, knowing that he is working for my ultimate good, even though even through this present pain. It's funny the things you remember and look back on and shake your head at. And this is after my journal entry. This Wednesday, that Wednesday night, I was insistent the Wednesday before he passed away. I was insistent on Campbell taking a bath. By this time, we had to carry him if he needed to go to another room. I remember picking him up, picking him up, and getting in the bathtub with him and bathing him. I wanted him to be clean, but also wanted to give him a bath as his mom one last time. His favorite nurse came over that Thursday night and sat with him. She massaged him. He even gave her a smile. He had been in a great bit of pain, but was able, but she was able to calm him and soothe him. On Friday, September the 18th, David had slept downstairs with Campbell, and I slept upstairs with Avery. Someone had to stay with him at all times. I remember walking downstairs and getting a shower. David looked at me and said, today is the day. I just have this feeling that today is the day. We called our minister, David Strain. And then another minister in our church, Wiley Lowry, came. I called John Daniels, my youth minister, that had ministered to me just about my entire life. We sat and we prayed with him and over him. The family came and sat with him, each having their own personal time. I sat holding Campbell. I rocked him, cried over him, sang over him and held him, and watched him take his last breath at 2.55 p.m. How many mothers can say that they watch their child take their first breath and their last breath. It wasn't supposed to be that way. Why was this happening? And why was it my child? 
And at that moment, there was a quietness and a peace that was unexplainable. And on that day, Campbell closed his eyes here on earth, and opened them in heaven. There was peace. Peace in all of us that his ultimate and complete healing had happened. The healing we had been praying for. Maybe not the healing we wanted, but the healing that was meant for Campbell. He knew that he wasn't there anymore. His body was, but his spirit wasn't. All of the people that loved Campbell were there. We cried and prayed. We knew that when Campbell closed his eyes on that day, he opened them in heaven and ran straight into the arms of his Savior, who had been waiting for him to come home. David and I sat here for what seemed like forever holding him. Probably the hardest thing I ever had to do was to lay my child down and walk away. But I had laid him down those many months ago when I said, Not my will, but thy will be done. He was never really mine to begin with. He was a precious gift given to us to take care of, nurture, raise, and point him to his Savior until he was called home. And on that day, my longing for heaven became real. My life changed again. My longing for heaven became overwhelming. These verses became more real to me and became the longing of my heart. First Thessalonians 4, 13-17. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The next day, we planned Campbell's funeral. We had picked out our plot in his casket when we returned from St. Jude. We knew on Campbell's headstone we wanted to put the first Bible verse he ever memorized. He knew his Savior and his Savior knew him. Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. We knew the songs we wanted sung. We knew we wanted David Strain and John Daniels to deliver the message. On September the 22nd, 2015, a beautiful September afternoon, we celebrated Campbell's life almost four days, four years to the day he was baptized. His casket was placed exactly in the same place we stood with him, dedicating him to the Lord. We sung, It is well and in Christ alone. David Strain delivered a message on Campbell's favorite scripture, Daniel in the lion's den. And he spoke these words that brought so much hope to us. God does not save at a distance. He stands with his people when they go into a fiery furnace. And he defends with them into the dark pit. He descends with them into the dark pit of lion's den. God came down into our sorrows and sufferings. Jesus was not rescued from the lion's mouth. He was not delivered from the fiery furnace. He was not spared the cross. Part of God's response is, is to point to the cross where his very own son asked the question, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God saves his people not from a distance, but by sending his son all the way down into suffering. By sending his son and not saving him. Jesus died 
so that we may live. There are no dark pits where he may bring you that he will not walk with you through them all. Because Jesus died and lived, he will never die. God doesn't promise that he will always rescue us out of the pit. He doesn't promise that he will deliver us from the fiery furnace. The promise is he will descend into those places. He will go with us and he will sustain us. I didn't know how I would move on as I woke up on September the 19th, 2015. For the first time without people with me. All the days seemed so long, and I didn't know how I would make it through them. All I wanted was to hold him one more time, to touch him and kiss him one more time, but I knew that that would never be enough. I would always want more than just one time. In that moment, I realized that I couldn't look too far ahead, that I had to live in that minute, in that hour, for that would be the only way I would make it to the next minute and the next hour. So that is how we have lived, minute by minute, hour by hour. We know how fragile life is and that our next breath is never promised. In June of 2016, we found out that we were expecting a baby girl. We were excited, thrilled, nervous, and sad all at the same time. We wanted Avery to have a sibling, and we knew this baby was a precious gift from God, the sweet reminder of his goodness and faithfulness. Stella Grace Dale entered the world on February the 2nd, 2017, almost three years after Campbell was diagnosed. She has been everything that we ever we never knew we needed. Lamentations 3, 22 through 26 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We still miss Campbell today as much as we did on September the 18th, 2015. We still struggle. Not every day is a good day. I can put a pretty good face on and beat it. But not every day is bad. September is a hard month. The memories wash over me more so than any other time of year. We relive his last days. I try to remember certain small details to tell Avery about or to write down to share with Stella Grace. We struggle with raising a child that has lost her roommate, her twin, the only other person that knows what her heart sounds like. The effects of grief will be long and will be lifelong for her because she knows more about life and death at her age than she should. We struggle with raising a child that will never know her brother this side of heaven. How do you begin to tell her how amazing and wonderful he was? We struggle with living in a world where you're expected to move forward and return to normal. We don't even know what normal is, because normal will never be what it once was. But through all of this, I'm reminded of a phrase that keeps coming back to me. But God, our faithful and loving God, has shown us over and over again that he is good. He is sovereign, and he loves us. He gives grace. He pours out his love, not because we deserve it, but only because of him and his great love for us. He went down and met us in our grief. He continues to hold us and guide us. And on those days, because they still occur, that I don't want to do life, he gives me strength to do the next thing. One thing among many I've learned from Campbell's life and our journey is to only live from one moment to the next. 
I've spent so much of my life planning my future and trying to have control and be in control. Probably where Campbell got it from. <laughs> when you're thrown into the unknown, and the only thing you know to be true is there is a God, and he loves me so very much that he sent his son to save me. He loves me enough to take care of me and to take care of my son because he does hold the whole world in his hand. He has walked this road I have walked and has gone to the depths for me and with me. You cling to that because that is all you have. We have learned so much through Campbell's life and death, and I know that learning is a lifelong process. My children learned about finger prick, needles, sports, surgery, tumors, cancer, chemo, radiation, CTs, MRIs, bone scans, PET scans, and the list could go on and on. They learned about empathy, bravery, strength, and dying. They learned doctors and nurses are our friends and will go to the ends of the earth and leave the child in their care. They learned that life is not fair, no matter how much you want it to be. We remind Avery of that when she says, it's not fair. <laughs> they learned that no matter how hard you want something or pray for it, it doesn't always work out the way you hope. And they learned that when it doesn't, God is still good. But you can still be sad and upset your prayers weren't answered the way you wanted. David and I learned all these things too. It's an experience and a molding process that neither of us would trade for anything. We are not the same people that walked through the doors of children of Mississippi on that cold February night almost six years ago. We never will be. Our lives change within a matter of days. I long for heaven like I've never longed for anything before. Yes, I long to see my son, but I long to see my Savior. I long for the new heaven and new earth where there will be no more dying, no sin, no destruction, no cancer. I long to see his face again, and I long to see the face of my Savior, who is holding him tight until we are together again. And I long to see the ending of a broken and beautiful story. Well, we're all left a little speechless after that story, and it's just a really difficult one to sit and discuss and talk about. Yes, that's right. I think all of us are sitting here taking some deep breaths in because we just can't imagine walking the road that she had to walk and the mm -hmm. details that she gave were just, it just placed you right there with her during those 18 months. The, the peace that God gave her just through her walk with him, um, that, that definitely spoke to me. And then how she was just so poured into, you know, when she talked in the very beginning about the Bible drills, which, you know, that, that was funny to hear because I can relate to that. But but also, you know, going to church and just everybody that poured into her at an early age, and that's what helped her stand, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. during the during mm -hmm. the hard time. Mm -hmm. And then when she discussed just how her prayers and how we, we may pray for others that are sick and how we may not see that healing here on earth, mm -hmm. but they are being healed in heaven. Yes. And just mm -hmm. her faith in that and just hearing her speak to that really confirmed my faith. Yeah. One of the things that she just really wanted, I think, to come across in her story was that God is sovereign above all else. She had several um, verses that I loved that she referenced, but some of the verses that she referenced were from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. And I just wanted to read these because I think they're such a good reminder to us. It says, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Wow. We're so thankful to Jill for sharing this yes. story and for being vulnerable. Those and details. And, yes, and, and being willing to, to share this for other families, for other people that may need this story one day. And so that we can empathize with those families. And give them hope. You know, yeah, that first just yeah. said, you know, we have hope. That's right. Exactly. All right. Well, we thank you for listening, and we will um, talk to you all next week. 